Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So what is the most you're willing to go through for a present? Like actual hard labor to find that perfect present that you know, like whoever's going to receive it, like it's made for them. They absolutely love it. Like a ton of work goes into it. And because right now we don't have to do that anymore because of Amazon. Literally, you open up your phone, you, you find, you search whatever item you're looking for, you know, oven mitt, right? <laughs> so you put an oven mitt and then you got 85 options. Like, oh, what's the cheapest with free shipping with Amazon Prime? And you click that one and it says, buy now, one click buying, boom. And all of a sudden, magically, the Amazon fairies have this thing appear at your doorstep two days later, like, this is so easy. And you know, like, okay, maybe you're not an Amazon person. Then you decide, like, I'm going to go to walmart.com. I'm going to put everything in my shopping cart. I'm going to purchase these items. Somebody there at the store is going to put them into bags for me. I walk up, I pick up said bags, and put them into my trunk. This is so easy. It wasn't always this way, my friends. Let's journey back all of those many, many, many years ago to the 1980s. In the 1980s was this flourish of what was happening in the toy scene. And what was happening during this is that there were toys that were distributed, put out, and there was such a high demand for these with not enough supply so that there were literal fist fights that were happening for people over Cabbage Patch dolls. There would be moms shoving poor, innocent other fathers and sisters and brothers to get them out of the way to be able to get the cheer bear, care bear. And in my world, uh, I, there's something I really always wanted and I loved at Christmas time, and that was the newest Mario Brothers game. So this is so different. So people of now, I'm going to take you back in a time machine. You're like, I didn't even know that world existed, right? This is how video games worked back then. You couldn't download them. The only way to get the video game is to get the actual hard cartridge. And Mario Brother games in the 80s were like finding gold. There's no way, especially when they first came out. So Mario Brothers 2 launches. Mario Brothers 3, you get to be a raccoon. This is the coolest thing ever. And so I love the NES and Mario Brothers games were near impossible to find that first year they were released. Because as soon as a store had them in any sort of stock, there was a mad dash to wipe them out. So you'd walk by the display and you'd see the Mario Brothers and there'd be like a tumbleweed rolling in the case. No chance you're going to find it. Maybe a couple of years later you might pick one up. But there was that kid. There was that kid with those parents that somehow had a connection to the President of the United States or something that they got what they wanted for Christmas and got the Care Bear, got the Cabbage Patch doll, or got the Mario Brothers game. Because honestly, to get those things, it took a lot of work. Sometimes it was networking, like somebody works at Toys R Us when there's actual physical stores of Toys R Us. Actual Toys R Us. Somebody worked there. As soon as a box came in with like five copies, they would snatch one and they would call your mom uh, not on a cell phone. They'd have to use an actual payphone or a work phone. And they'd say, we've got one here. You've got 30 seconds to get here or they're going to kill me. And they would do everything they can to hold this item for you until someone would come. And so there was those connections or networking to get those very, very special gifts. Sometimes it took more money. They would be marked up. 
And so someone would get them and then they'd resell them at a higher price and you'd be willing to do that just so that your, your child could have that for Christmas. There was such a big, big, huge price to pay whenever somebody wanted those very exclusive gifts. Now, we have exclusive gifts in our day. Don't get me wrong, but they're pretty easy to get now. Now, for the most part, with a couple of clicks, anything you want for Christmas is there. It is so easy. Now, Christmas lists among kids usually contain links. Just click on the link exactly to what they're looking for. Gift giving back in the day was stressful. And so my question for you today is how much are you willing to go through to give a gift? How much are you honestly willing to go through to give a gift to someone? Let's put this out here for a thought for a second. Would you be willing to travel across the United States of America on a camel with a huge group of people in which it's going to cost you a ton of money to feed all of these people, feed these animals, to carry very expensive gifts across the country, which is going to take you I don't know, months to years to get to be able to give that gift to your cousin. And you're like, hey, I made it. Here's your gift. And then turn around and then travel back years to get back home. The answer is no. No. Everything is instantaneous for us. But we're going to journey back into a time even longer than the 1980s from now. We're going to travel back in time over 2,000 years and look at the story of the Magi. Now, if you've heard anything about the story of these three wise men, the Magi, there weren't three. That is just made up in our stories. The Magi or the wise men are a very pinnacle part of the story. And today we're going to explore something you probably have never seen before, even though you've maybe heard this over and over again. So we're going to dig into Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen behind me. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Listen to this account of what was happening during the time of the birth of Jesus with the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had, caught, he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. As we look at this account, we see a lot of moving pieces. First, we see these magi en route. Now, they are coming from the east, which means they are Gentiles. And in our terminology of scripture terminologies, Jewish people, the people of Israel were called either the people of Israel or the Jews. They were the chosen people of God in which whom through God was going to bring salvation. And if you weren't Jewish, then you were Gentile, which means you're uh, outside of that people group. 
And so Gentiles, a lot of times, they worshiped all sorts of different gods as all different types of religions for them. But for the Jewish people, they were to serve and worship only one God, who was Yahweh, or the God in which we talked about. So here we have this outside group from the east, and they are magi. Now, magi is a really, really interesting term because these men were the learned men of the time. They were astrologers, astronomers. They were the ones who were involved with philosophy and thought. They were the ones who reported to the king and told them everything that's going on and what to be looking for. And so from the east, these learned, high-ranking men who work for kings see a star and they respond. Now, there's only one reason that this would happen within this context is that the Magi knew the prophecy about the Messiah who was coming to Israel. There's only one way. So the words that were given by the prophets uh, through the people, the Jewish people, it, they didn't just the only ones who read it, others read it too. And so these Magi were reading these manuscripts knowing that there was going to be one who was coming through them to save the world. And so these learned, intelligent men are looking for signs and waiting for the Magi, or the Lord, to come. And being astronomers, they study the sky. Now, looking at the stars is not a new thing, right? We look up in the stars. If you've ever been at any place that does not have a ton of lights, and you look at the stars, it's mesmerizing. And the darker it gets, the brighter the stars are. And tracking and marking stars is not a new thing. We've been doing it for a very long time. And so these astronomers, these wise men, these people who are looking and studying planets and stars, uh, they don't have the science we have. They're just going by what they see. See this thing that marks, hey, something's in motion. They knew the prophecy of one who was to come. And this mark puts them into the thing, we've got to go. We've got to go. And so they're sitting around, and they're like, the star comes. They don't hesitate. They gather their group, and they start traveling from the east towards the west, and they're following the star, expecting to meet the Messiah. Really, really important thing to note here. I really want you to know this. The reason that the Magi found the Messiah was because they were searching for him. If you're not looking for something, you're not going to respond. Because they were looking and searching for the Messiah, they found him. If, let's just go back for a second. Let's say that they didn't know the prophecy. Let's say they weren't looking for Messiah. Let's just put that out there for a second. If they were not looking for them, they would still be sitting in the east and they wouldn't be in our story tonight. They'd be back in their homes studying things and doing whatever they did. We would never know that they come. There's no gold, frankincense, myrrh. They're not part of our stories. You don't have three of them in your nativity set, okay? This isn't happening, but they were looking. And at the same time, if they didn't know the prophecy, they wouldn't know what to look for and which direction to go. If they didn't know the writings that came, if there wasn't an expectation that God was going to send this Messiah to save, they wouldn't know what to look for. Therefore, they wouldn't have gotten people to start heading to the West. And so two things happened. These men first knew what the prophecy was, and secondly, they acted on it because they were looking for him. Now, these men most likely were trained in 
learned in multiple world religions and things that were happening during the time. The Gentiles at that time had many different gods, many different understandings. And so we don't know where their faith walk was or what their stories behind that. But what we do know is that they were waiting and looking for Messiah because when they saw it, they went. What's interesting about that, friends, and things I ponder sometimes in my own faith walk as I look through this, is that do I actually respond when I know that God is there? Like, I totally get it. Because maybe in your faith walk right now, you just aren't that interested. Like, look, I'm not interested in searching for him. I'm not interested. Or maybe in your faith journey, you're like, I've done church stuff. I've done all that, Jason. You don't understand my story. And, and I get it because I've been there. I bet I've been there. I get it. Sometimes I still go in weird places like that where my, where my heart is just so frustrated. And I'm like, God, I don't want to know anything right now. Right now, I just want to be left alone. I, I get it. But I'm going to say this to you. If you're not searching for him, you're never going to find him. And sometimes our life and our experiences and our stories shut us off so darkly that we just cut him out even though the star is glaring in your face. You're like, you fold your arms like, nope, I am not going anywhere. But these magi didn't. And let me tell you why. We move in our story to King Herod. King Herod has a totally different response to this. So here we have a Gentile wise men out here, and their movement and their journey leads them over to the west following a star. And here we have the king of the Jewish people who is in Jerusalem, which was their capital, and he gets notice of this is happening. And I want you to know what happens here. This is Matthew 2, verses 3 to 8. When King Herod heard this, he was, check this word, disturbed. And he wasn't the only one, and all of Jerusalem with him. We had gathered together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be my shepherd, my people, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. A couple of interesting facts to note here. Here is a Jewish king who is the leader of all of Israel, who should be the one leading his entire nation and waiting and looking for the Messiah because the prophecy was given to them. They should be waiting. And the first thing that should have happened when they hear, he hears the prophecy has started is he should have been elated. He would have been, this is it. This is our time. The Messiah has come. Let's start a party. And he should have been a ruckus party and like, let's go. Let's go find him. We've got to get him. And excitement and power. Oh, it'd be crazy. He's disturbed. I don't like that. And so they start talking and start chattering among the people. And everyone's like, wait, what's happening? The Messiah is coming now? That, wait, wait, what, whoa, whoa, whoa. This prophecy might actually be real? And so... Think about this for a second. If you're King Herod, you've got a bunch of guys coming who are not of your people like, hey, we're magi. Where's the real king of the Jews? You're not it. The first thing you're going to think is these guys are, they're usurping me. I'm going to lose my position. And I don't know of anybody in power, especially not politicians, who be like, oh, there's someone better than me. Let me get out of your way, right? So here you have literally a king saying, hey, the real king is here. Can we, can we go visit him? He's the one that was, that was prophesied about. The Messiah is here. 
And so Herod flips around, is like, I don't want that dude here. I don't want anything to be near him. I don't want anything to do with him. Everyone's like, what is going on? Because if Herod loses the throne, multiple things happen. If Herod loses the throne, it's not only him, but it's his entire lineage. Because in those days, the kings would pass on to their sons and to the grandsons. It goes down and that lineage goes through unless someone comes up and usurps them. Herod, not pleased. Because now he's going to lose everything. And so his first response is we've got to stop this from happening. And what's so interesting is he says to the wise men, okay, he hears the prophecies in Bethlehem, so he says, hey, wise men, go to Bethlehem and find them. Okay, so he tells them, go where the prophecy said, find them, and then when you find them, let me know who that, where, I want to come, I want to come, tell me where he's at, uh, give me the address, send me Google Maps, I'm cool, I want to come, and when I get there, I'm going to worship him. But it's not true. Because we find out, in Scripture, he was going to kill him. In fact, we find out in Scripture, because the wise men didn't go back and tell him where he was, that Herod goes on a spree killing all the boys that would be of that age because he was terrified of that boy taking his throne. Unbelievable when you stop to think about it. Because Herod's a lot like us. If we are not searching for the Messiah... We don't want his presence. Let me say that again. If we are not searching for him, you don't want his presence in your life. In fact, we don't want to be around it. A lot of times it feels like, like it's just like nails on a chalkboard because I don't want that God in my life. And Maybe that's your faith journey right now or maybe in the past. We're like, I just can't, I, I don't want this God. If this God loves me, then we fill in the blank. Why would he let this happen to me? If this God is so great and we shake our fists I don't want you in my life. I don't want you anywhere near me. In fact, what can I do to get rid of you from my life? That's what Herod was doing right there. When we're not searching for him, we definitely don't want his presence in our life. It's hard because the Messiah had come not for the throne of Herod. He came for the throne of God. It was his throne to take in. He doesn't want worldly thrones. The Messiah was coming to save the world, not take Herod's throne. But how small of a human is Herod to do that? Late, let me change that. How small are all of we? Because we would have done the same thing. In some facet or form, when people try to take something from us, we aren't very happy. In some facet or form, when someone takes power from us, we are not happy. But here, God is like, I'm not coming to take your throne, dude. Jesus was coming to save the world. But Herod's response was that I don't want him here. Final group we'll look at. Take a look at how the Magi responded to meeting Jesus. Listen to this. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. When they saw the star, they're overjoyed. When Herod heard about the Messiah, he was disturbed. Notice that. On coming to the house, they saw the child in his, with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi weren't swayed from their mission. They weren't swayed. They were told that here's, we've got to follow the star. They've been on this pilgrimage. They've given so much. They go to Herod. Hey, 
do you know where this guy is? He's like, uh, Bethlehem maybe, it's a prophecy. They go there and they see him and the first thing they do is they are overjoyed. How much work and effort did it take for them to bring those three gifts to him? How much time, how much sacrifice did it take to bring the gold, frankincense, and myrrh? And so they are overjoyed, like we found him. And these three to 25 to 50 Gentiles, who knows how many, we see the three gifts. There's three gifts they hold. They bring the three gifts, and those men who are holding the gifts, they all bow down and worship baby Jesus. This child that was born, they worship him as their response. And can you imagine the jubilation? Overjoyed is jubilation. We have found him. We have found him. And the roar that's going through the crowd of everybody who traveled all this way. And Mary is sitting here, pondering all this in her heart, watching the works of God happening. And they come before him and they lay down gold. Gold because of his kingship. Frankincense, his deity. Myrrh. His sacrifice of death is a burial. It's for burial. And so they lay down these very costly, very, very expensive to somebody they have never met before in their lives based on a prophecy they heard one time, based on the fact that they believed that this was real. They had given up everything to get to that moment. And what's beautiful about this, when we find the one true Messiah, we will also worship him. When you find the one true Messiah, not the fake one, not the plastic one, not the God that we want him to be, the God Almighty, the God of the Scriptures, the Savior who came to save us, when you find him, we will worship him as well. Unfortunately, so many of us have such cheap imitations and knockoffs of this most beautiful God and the story which he's done for us, and we're like, I don't want to worship that. Maybe you've got the wrong God in the manger then. Maybe, let me say this, maybe giving our lives to God is too expensive and I don't want to do that. Would we give up gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Would we give up anything to follow God? What if there was a cost to follow him? What if you had to travel across the country on a, on a donkey? You're like, oh God, I don't know. My kids got soccer practice on Sundays. I'm busy. You know, God, I hear you, but I just, I don't know. Is it okay if I just pray to you once in a while and that's, we're cool? God, I'm not really willing to give up the things that I love most. I mean, I, I know you love me. Can you just forgive me and we're all right? I thank God of the universe who laid down his deity to come into the world as a baby, to lay in a manger. I think, I think he deserves more than that this Christmas. I thank the God of the universe who came not to take the throne of man, but to bring the kingdom of God to us to save us, to fix the problem we created, to have an answer to sin. The one who came to save you deserves more this Christmas than ever. Because the God of the universe gave everything. And his gift to you this Christmas cost the God of the universe's son his life for you. The Magi's gift and their sacrifice was good. Jesus's was better. And so this Christmas, let's take a message from what we learned from the Magi. One, to find the Messiah, you've got to be searching for him. To find him, search for him. Do not ever grow weary of searching for the true God, the one who has come to seek and save the lost. 
Secondly, when we are not searching for Messiah, the truth is we don't want his presence. When we're not searching, we don't want. We're like, no, thank you. If you ask the question, where's God, when you've got your hands up, maybe you're the one stepping away, not him. And finally, when we find the one true Messiah, like the Magi, you'll give him everything in worship. Friends, we've already had Christmas at our fingertips the whole time. We've been looking for it today, and it's been here the whole time. It's a baby in a manger. The greatest gift ever given and ever will be given is right here in the manger. So if you are searching, look no further. Jesus Christ is come. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.